In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the light and life of the world, has granted unto every soul who will receive Him power to become sons and daughters of God through His grace and truth. Within the first chapter of John, we receive the incredible prologue of Jesus Christ, His identity, divinity, and everlasting mission to redeem the souls of men. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I would say the most interesting trait I got from my parents would be the love of reading. I love education and learning about all different things, and it's awesome to share that with my family. I think my compassion, which I probably got from my mom, is a really um, one of my, I think one of my best traits and most interesting traits because I can really kind of like feel like how a person is feeling and I can kind of relate to them. I think the most interesting trait was probably a sense of independence and not caring what people think. Growing up with five other brothers, my parents, whenever we would come complain to them, they would always say, just say who cares about that? And so I think going through life, I've learned to, you know, choose a path that I want because I want it and not because of what anyone else, you know, or my brothers think about me. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Camille Frank Olson. Camille is a popular speaker and author and is Professor Emeritus of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University. Welcome, Camille. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> and our special guest today, seated next to Camille, is Aaron Franklin. Aaron is the author of a book called The Spiritual Physics of Light. He is a professor of engineering at Duke University, and he and his wife, Leanne, have three kids and live in North Carolina. Aaron, I'm very excited to learn from you today. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Ben. It's really my pleasure and uh, a thrill to join you both. And we are, uh, as always, joined by our audience. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we're excited to, to learn from you as well and hear from your experiences. And to you viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout this discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on any of our social media platforms. For downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more. All right, so the two topics we're gonna to be discussing today are first, Jesus Christ gives us power to become the sons and daughters of God. And the second topic is Jesus Christ is the true light the Son of God. And we'll dive a little deeper into these topics in the footnotes portion of the show. But for now, we're gonna focus on the first topic. Jesus Christ gives us power to become the sons and daughters of God. Camille, we're gonna have you start us off. Give us a little background into John chapter one, some details you know, to help us understand this chapter and this topic a little more. All right, this is John the Apostle. This is John the Beloved. This is John the Revelator. Not to be confused with John the Baptist, who we'll be talking about as well. In this very chapter, right. But he was the author of not only this gospel, but also three epistles and the Revelation. Um, John's gospel is different from the other gospels. And one of the reasons is the fact that he begins it not with the birth of Jesus Christ as Matthew and Luke do, or the baptism of Jesus Christ that Mark does. John begins this 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a perspective that is so much broader that goes back to before the creation of the earth, because He is the creator of the earth. So this this first chapter is sometimes called a prologue mm-hmm. and, and, and starts with pre-mortality. It introduces some of the very first disciples that were first disciples of John the Baptist. We get more of John the Baptist's preparation and his testimony in here in this first chapter. It's a, it's a beautiful one that n- is not replicated in any of the other Gospels. I love the points that Camille brought up, and in particular, how unique this gospel is from the other three that we have in our canon, because that perspective, his audience, all of those things, I think one of the most powerful elements that John is able to bring with his unique perspective is that he had a connection to John the Baptist, as was indicated, that none of the other three gospel writers had. You know, he was his disciple. He was with him. And that always makes me feel, um, feel a connection to what he decides to share about John the Baptist because he was with him. And, and I love that he interweaves the importance of John the Baptist's mission with his introduction of the Savior, with the, the true light, the Savior being the all-important, but that John the Baptist, as the, as the one to prepare the way, still played a vital role in that process. And so having someone who was so close to John the Baptist bring that out is, I think, is really powerful. Okay, so let's get into our first topic. What is John trying to teach us about how we can become, through Christ, sons and daughters of God? Well, I think um, verse 12 is where you really just see it focused right there. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I think you can go past that pretty easily and go, oh yeah, we are children of God and we sing a primary song and we know that. (laughs) But what is in there? Can I, I mean like, Ask the, absolutely. Ask that. What is there in that verse, the wording that tells you this is not the same relationship that we're talking about when we sing, I am a child of God? Sonny. So one thing that stood out to me is, but as many as received him. So there's a choice there. I mean, we are all children of God, but you know, we're here to make a choice. So whomever actually believed he was the Christ and listened to the prophets and the apostles, it's our own personal choice. Excellent. Clayton. I love the word become from verse 12. And I love how it's in like stark contrast with verse nine, where it talks about every man that comes into the world, they receive this light of Christ, but there's a different relationship with receiving him. When we receive him, it's a part of us, you know, becoming something rather than just naturally receiving it or having it. All right. Emma. So it actually says, to them he gave, gave he power, sorry. Um, and in that footnote, I love how it says authority, right, or privilege. I love the word power. It makes me think of, again, primary children. I teach primary, so we always have them do these muscles, power, right? <laughs> um, but I also love the word privilege. It is something that we are so lucky that we have this capability to be sons and daughters of our um, Heavenly Father. And 
be grouped into that light of Christ. So I just um, love both of those words, power and privilege. How does having that privilege of knowing that you are a daughter of God, how does that affect your everyday life and the choices you make? I think it makes my self-worth just to the umpteenth degree. Um, I feel like there's a lot of things I'm good at, but even on my worst days, those horrible days, and I feel like I'm not doing anything super well, I'm still a daughter of God and He still loves me. And I know that because, you know, He'll love me no matter what, but also because I've chosen that. I've chosen to follow Him. And on my worst days, even though I'm trying, um, uh, I get to be a daughter of God. So it really just changes how I see myself and how I see those around me. You know, that's a great illustration. By default, we are sons and daughters of God That because we are His spirit children. But I'm gonna be honest, I, I kind of had the same question with this topic of becoming. I was like, wait, well, I, I thought we already were. And so Aaron, what are your thoughts on the differentiation between us being spirit children of our heavenly father and then the ability to become sons and daughters of God? When I hear those words, becoming the, the sons and daughters of God, I always think about King Benjamin and his people in the Book of Mormon. And when he was nearing the end and gave that most famous and powerful sermon in Mosiah chapters uh, two through five, those people who ended up becoming converted, truly becoming the sons and daughters of Christ, they had already come to listen to their king and prophet. And there was obedience there. There was awareness of and understanding of truth. And yet something different happened in their becoming. There was a change, a transformation that, that went beyond just the recognition or just the obedience. And that type of change, I think, is what the Apostle John is, is getting at here with respect to the power that we have, the privilege, and yet the choice that it requires to actually make that change occur. And maybe I can bring in one other verse to the, to the scene here that comes a little before that in, in John 1. Verse five, he says, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And I think there's different ways that this verse could be interpreted. For me, I love the topic of light and it brings to mind a, a, an analogy. And I have a flashlight here to assist a bit with the analogy. I think you all can picture a flashlight. <laughs> but if you imagine yourself in a dark room and suddenly someone comes in and turns a flashlight on and shines it right at you. It's not gonna do you a whole lot of good in terms of seeing things, but you will know that there is a light there. So the light is shining in darkness, but you're largely comprehending not much other than the fact that it's there. Whereas if you make the choice, take advantage of the privilege and take that light, that source of light yourself, then you can use it to shine it around the dark room and bring greater comprehension and understanding and ultimately a true depth of conversion. It's one thing I've always known that I am the child, a daughter of Heavenly Father from pre-mortality. But it's once you make those covenants and, and He knows you and that flashlight, it's like He showed me a path that I didn't know existed and I wasn't necessarily prepared for but I knew it was Him and I could trust that. And it led me into um, a wonderful life that I have to give credit to Him for. 
can we transition from John the Beloved to John the Baptist and in his role in helping bring others to Christ? Yes. The thing about John the Baptist, it seems like he's always on stage when Jesus is, just about. And as a result, he seems to be overshadowed a lot. And he remains so stalwart and humble and that he doesn't ask for the spotlight mm -hmm. on him. In fact, it's later in John that he says, speaking of Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. I it's, it's just, it's mm -hmm. wonderful. But John chapter one is also phenomenal because we've got a whole lot of Joseph Smith translation with it. And I wanna read just a little okay. bit from the <laughs> appendix from the Joseph Smith translation, verse 20. When, when people have asked John the Baptist, who art thou? Because they're so taken by him. And he says in verse 20, I am not the Christ. I think there's so much that would indicate that people got him confused. Mm -hmm. They would expect this John was someone wonderful. They all knew about his birth, for example. And, and he was teaching remarkable things. And then they ask him if he's Elias. And he says, I am not. Art, art thou that prophet? probably referring back to Deuteronomy. Nope, I am not. And now in verse seven, he says, the same came into the world for a witness, to bear witness of the light, to bear record of the gospel through the son unto all, and through him men might believe. But he's, again, this is speaking of John the Baptist. He was not that light, but came to bear witness of that light which is the true light, which lighteth every man who cometh into the world, even the Son of God. What John the Baptist is doing seems to be making the path as, as simple and as straightforward and clear so that anyone would know how to find the Son of God. And, and that is his mission. And this is something that we can do on an individual level to kind of take the example of John and prepare to allow Christ into our life. President Howard W. Hunter has a wonderful quote about this. And he says, the fatherhood of God is universal in the sense that we are all his created children. But those who believe in Christ, who accept him as the son of God and the savior of the world, have the right to become true sons and daughters of God. This is a gift of God dependent upon faith in Christ. What a great message that there is so much more that, that we have to do in this life than just exist. That we have to put forth some effort to become true sons and daughters of God. Thank you both so much for, for your comments and audience. Thank you so much for your participation. And for you at home, what strengths and insights have you gained from learning more about our divine identity? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. When I think of light, I think of something that brings us out of the darkness. Light for me is confidence that I'm not going to hurt myself. I know where I'm going. Christ is kind of like that light that shows me the way and shows me what to do, kind of like guides me. Knowing that Christ is there and that He loves me is, just brings such a calm and comfort to me in times of distress. Like light, um, He will expel the darkness and the confusion. Um, sometimes that's only just in front of me to take a few steps. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, the whole room so I can walk all around, but um, he, he illuminates my path for me. Christ has just been a light by adding that comfort and calmness. You know, in a dark room, when you have a light, you're able to see what's going on. And so even if I can't see the full picture, I know that Christ is there and he's that light. 
So the second topic we're gonna talk about today is Jesus Christ is the true light, the son of God. And Camille, do you wanna just give us a little bit of an introduction as to what light specifically has to do with John chapter one? Yes, right from the very beginning when we have, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We also read about the, that he, he created the earth and in him was light and he is the light of the world. And that one of his purposes is to spread and emanate that light throughout all the world and in all of us. That's part of the testimony that John begins with in, this, in his gospel. And we're very fortunate to have our expert in light, Aaron. So you wrote a book, do you wanna just describe a little bit about the book you wrote and kind of uh, how that leads into Properties of Light? Sure, sure. So the book is called The Spiritual Physics of Light. Okay. And it really is meant to be an exploration of how there's connectivity between what we know about light scientifically and the way that light operates in the scriptures and spiritually in our lives. As it turns out, over the years, uh, I, I mean, I came to love this topic. At, at a personal level, I find that the use of, of light in the scriptures when describing conversion just felt so appropriate and so close to home for my own conversion. One of the examples in the scriptures that I think is most vivid with the description of light as part of conversion is that of King Lamoni. And in Alma chapter 19, there's uh, this verse in verse 6 where it says that, now this is what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, and that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. And I, I mean, that level of detail around light and bringing enlightenment and joy, I just, it resonated with me at a, at a deep level. And so one of the things that led me to spend a lot of my personal study thinking about light and uh, one of the truths of the restored gospel that I, I love so much is that there are no separate buckets of truth of what the world learns scientifically versus what is taught as revealed and restored truth in the gospel. Truth is truth. There's only one bucket. And so the things that we come to discover scientifically are just as aligned with the eternal nature of God and how he operates as the things that we learn from in the scriptures. So Christ says, I am the true light and I am the light of the world. And we even read, I just love this in Revelation chapter 21, where it says that describing the celestial kingdom, that there will be no sun, moon, or stars there because Christ is there and he is the light of the world in a literal sense. Wow, yeah, I love the example you gave from Revelation. I mean, that anything that really highlights the, the power and fullness of the light that Jesus is and embodies is at the crux of all light. I mean, we learned that from a number of places in the scriptures of just how encompassing the light of Christ is. 
So uh, four, four top things that, that I often will bring up on this, on this front. First is that light cannot be stored. So as much as we like to think about having you know, truth and, and truth is connected to light and that we build that up, light itself from a fundamental physical level cannot be stored. And so flashlight, which we talked about earlier, there's no light being stored in here. There's only the capacity to generate light. So with sufficient energy provided, in this case with a battery, light is able to be generated from this source, but it cannot be stored. And the same is true with any other nature of light in, in my interpretation. So it's always moving. It's the fastest moving thing, source of energy out there. Second thing is that light is used for virtually all communication transmission. So radio waves, those are light. Communication waves for a cell phone, light. Wi-Fi, internet connectivity, light. All of those are forms of light that we have learned to cram information into and then re-extract that information back out. And if we can do that with light, what can God do wow. with light or any other related power, right? When it comes to bringing out a message and information to us. Third thing is that all things radiate light. This is a maxim of, of just uh, thermal energy, that we all have some thermal energy to us, so we're radiating light. So we are radiating something that relates to our condition. And how about connection to spiritual radiation based on that physical truth? So when you say all things radiate light, all, all living things? Great question. So it is actually universal, all things, inanimate. Wow. Manufactured things. That's correct. Wow. And that's really neat. And, and, you know, we use some of that light that is radiated to even indicate very specific conditions like temperature, you know, infrared uh, detectors that they might use to measure your temperature on your forehead. Mm -hmm. All just, that's just picking up light that you're already giving off that give information about your condition. And then the last is that light is able to be detected based on what it is interacting with. So the uniqueness of a substrate determines how you detect things from light. Think about it with a radio wave that you tune to a radio station, or nowadays it's kind of satellite, not as old school, you know, uh, turning the dial, but, but you're tuning into something that's already there, but you are adjusting to receive the information that it has available. So detecting light and receiving from it is a, a fundamental aspect of physics in light, and I think has gospel correlation. That was really awesome. So as Aaron has been talking about properties of light, I would love to hear an example from the audience about how you have seen that light of Christ either within yourself or within the life of somebody else. Sean. Well, um, usually my, my family and I try, like usually once a month or every now and then, we do these service where we get, um, we donate all these like canned goodies and like foods and to this place where we back, put, put them in boxes and then we take those boxes and we bring them up to Salt Lake City, and then we pass them around to like homeless shelters and these homeless people in the streets. And whenever like I do that certain service, I kind of feel like I'm carrying Christ's light and I'm kind of doing His service. And like that's definitely a good example of me carrying the light of Christ. What does it feel like when you do that? I feel filled up, right? I feel like that. It's not. I don't feel empty. I feel like a really good person. I feel this warm feeling inside, and I really feel like more Christ-like. I would say, yeah. And I feel like the Spirit is with me during that time. I'm sure others that see that and recognize that can use that to strengthen their own testimonies. In the beginning of John, we have this reference to the creation. In the beginning 
was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What sort of connections can we make with the creation and light? Why was light created first? What are some of your thoughts on that? I just think light seems to be critical, essential for life. Plants, you look at plants, that's my favorite one to to, just to consider. You cannot survive without light. And what happens to us without that? And we even talk about diseases if we don't have light. It just seems like there is sources of life that must be included in in light some way, but I don't know that. Absolutely, I mean, the ability to recognize the the critical life-giving nature of light, as you said, it being at that very origin of creation, is, is something that is a perfect tie-over to why Jesus is the true light, why the lead-in here in the prologue from John is to indicate that core truth above anything else, because like our discussion about becoming sons and daughters of Christ, that is the way to gain salvation, is to see Jesus as the life-giving light, eternal life-giving light. And, and accessing and embracing that brings that everlasting life to us. And I mean, I loved the comment from Sean about feeling that, you know, that you feel this way because there, there's a reality physically and I think a crossover spiritually to how we feel light. And you, you, you certainly, we've all experienced stepping out into the sunlight after being in the shade or indoors. You feel that physical interaction you're having with light. And uh, the same sort of translates to when, when you see bright light after being in a dark place, you know, stepping out of a movie theater and, oh, you know, and it kind of hurts because you have lost some of your comfortability with light. Whereas when you grow in comfortability, your ability to be in the presence of greater and greater light enhances. Oh, I got it. This is, this is Nicodemus. You've just, I mean, it is fascinating. You know, this is John 3, but we're going to be there soon. But remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee who just was a little concerned about what other people might think of him. And he, when does he come to see Jesus, to talk to him? <laughs> At night. And Jesus starts talking to him about light. And I love this. This is John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. We can just do that. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Think about, I think of Christ. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Uh, and so you'd say, turn out the light. No, let me go back in the movie theater. Let me, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see. But look at that next verse. He that doeth truth. Don't you love that phrase? It's not just knowing truth. It is doing truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. That when we know and trust in this true light, we seek the light. We want to gravitate towards that light. And sure enough, it is going to show us the parts of us that need to change, the problems that we have. But that is good news. And he helps us to know how to change that. He who doeth truth will come to the light, but he that doeth and and loveth evil wants to stay in the darkness. We had a question coming from one of our viewers about how to follow that light, which is Christ. 
Hi, we're the Clarks, and we live in Carrollton, Texas. I'm Amber. And I'm Tenley. As we studied the first chapter of John, I really loved how the Savior invited the disciples to come and see instead of just giving them the answer. So my question today is, how can I better emulate Christ's example while I'm helping my daughter learn to recognize the Spirit and develop her own testimony as she prepares for baptism? How can I follow Christ's example to teach my child to feel the Spirit and develop their own testimony? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the world today, uh, a lot of distractions. So what are some of your thoughts on how we can help Amber answer her question? Bella. I think something cool that we've been talking about today with light is how we're sensitive to light. And I think just like we're sensitive to light, we're sensitive to the spirit and things that it teaches us. I also like how she brought up the point that why didn't he just show them, uh, tell them the answer, but he had to show him. I remember my first semester of college, I was having a really bad day at work and I ran all the way back to my dorm. I barely made it to dinner and all that was left was a couple brownies. So I thought, great, I'm just gonna pack them up in a box, go back to my dorm room and eat these brownies. And I remember on my way, I was kind of praying, you know, help me just get through the rest of my day. I'm just not having a great one. And I remember getting this feeling that I should drop them off at my friend's door, even though this was like the only food I had for that day. So I remember writing a note on it and I said, I hope you had a great day. And I left it at his door. I didn't really think about it until a couple days later, he came up to me and he told me it was actually his birthday. And no one knew it was his birthday, but he just came outside of his dorm and there was a plate of brownies. And I liked that because it wasn't the answer that I thought it was going to be. Um, when I wanted someone to show me light at the time and I wanted help that day, I was able to receive an answer through helping somebody else. So I think that it's all about feeling and knowing that answers come in different ways. Your light will shine in different ways. And when you think you need light, you can be light to someone else and that helps brighten yours too. Bella, how do you feel like that experience is going to help strengthen your testimony as you continue on in different phases of your life? It helps me remember to be sensitive to the light, I guess, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know that answers are going to come at different timing. And God knows us. He knows our life and that he knows what's going to help us in the moment. I didn't think that helping someone else was going to help me, but it did. Okay, so, so Bella mentioned something that I, I was hoping that you two could help us understand a little bit. She mentioned light and she mentioned the Spirit. Is there a difference between the light of Christ and the, the filling the Spirit or filling the Holy Ghost? I think so. We learned that really clearly from the Book of Mormon. And well, it's also here that this light of Christ is given to every person that comes to the earth. It's a free gift for everyone. The Holy Ghost has an influence and, and that is a member of the Godhead. There's an excellent quote from President Joseph Fielding Smith uh, about how these two powers, the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ, may actually function together. And uh, it says, when it becomes necessary for the Holy Ghost to speak to us, he is able to do so by acting through the other spirit, that is, through the light of Christ. So would you say maybe we shouldn't be so precise to figure out whether this is the Holy Ghost speaking to me or I'm getting this from the light of Christ instead just saying, I know this comes from God and act on it. And that's what makes the difference. Um, in the same way that John's disciples, when they asking, wait a minute, could this be? Well, come and see. It is, don't hesitate. Let's put our life in action and pursue those promptings that we get either from the light of Christ or from the Holy Ghost. It's been really fascinating and I'm excited to explore some of these things a little bit more 
in, in footnotes, talking about some things that maybe we didn't get to go into in greater detail. So thank you both for your comments. Audience, thank you for sharing with us. And for those at home, we are just getting started. Next up is footnotes, our deeper dive with Camille and Aaron into the scriptures, context, history, and more. Being on the set today, I have learned so much. It's reading my scriptures, you know, I do feel like I get a lot of personal revelation, but it's just so nice to have other people to bounce ideas off of, and the energy here is just so vibrant, and that's really because of the light of Christ that we all have within us, and we're just able to talk about um, Christ and share our experiences with one another. Finding Christ in my life has been definitely like an up and down experience. I think all of us go through these hard times when you're in the darkness and you're stubborn and you think that you don't need help. But I think in my darkest times where there's no light around me, a little bit of Christ shines at the end where you know, hey, there's someone that I can walk towards and there's something that I can have an end goal towards. So I think finding Christ in my life is like finding the light, finding the happiness, finding the purpose of who I am and what I can accomplish. <laughs> Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to sharing the rest of our discussion with you at home with Camille and Aaron. Let's jump back into some of these things. I wanna revisit real quick our first topic. In the first chapter of John, we get this idea of becoming uh, sons of God in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Can you help us understand a little bit more about this idea of receiving or just in general, what does it really mean to become a son or daughter of God? The Lord has given us power to actually become perfect like He is perfect. I mean, there's so many ways that it fits in together. And so here in verse 12, again, where He said, as many as received Him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, believing in him and receiving him and changing, receiving that power. But look at the way the apostle Paul described it. It's the very same doctrine. Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So in this way, he calls it adoption, where we become his children, the children of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that too, that then we can call the Father Abba, which is a more intimate, a more personal title. Look at verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see both children of Christ, but also brother and sister almost, and that we are joint heirs and then receive all that Christ does. You know, I'm fascinated uh, about this idea of being sons and daughters of God, you know, there, there doesn't have to be a connection. You can just be born of parents and never get to know them. But as you come to know them, as you come to take after their characteristics, then you, you, you really become a part of that family. You become their son and their daughter because you live in their home. You take after some of the traits that they have. You, you try to emulate and become them. And so, Aaron, what are some of your thoughts on, on just this idea that we were talking about of becoming a son or daughter of God. 
I think it is a theme that John clearly felt very, very strongly about because he brings light up uh, frequently throughout his writings. And he's the, the only gospel writer that refers to Jesus as being the light of the world. And that comes just a few chapters later. And yet Matthew, in recording the Sermon on the Mount, has Jesus declare that ye, meaning us, all of us, are the light of the world. And so to this idea of us becoming, you know, here we are begotten sons mm -hmm. and daughters of God, but that as we take on the traits, the attributes, the light of that divine parent, we become as he is. I just love that, that the central connection is light, but that's only really for, for us to recognize that that's Jesus there. He is the light and that we draw closer, become more like and share in that glory. What can you teach us and those that are watching at home about the actual physical properties of light and, and how closely they relate to to Jesus Christ and why he is called the light. One of the things that is, is really important to remember about the physical nature of light is that it has a shared property of being both what we call a wave and a particle. And so in the sense of being a wave, you can think of it not that different than like a wave in the ocean. It moves because you know, there's a, a progressed motion, but the wave itself is moving. Okay. And if it stopped moving, would it be a wave anymore? It would not. Its motion makes it a wave. And, and that's true of light. What makes it light is that it is moving, that, that property of, of being a wave. Yet at the same time, we discovered just a few hundred years ago that when light runs into things, especially with enough light, high enough intensity and energy, it can physically impact them. So it can actually move or if enough energy is there, burn or destroy something. So think about that with how Jesus is not just this true light, but a light that the Doctrine and Covenants explains is the very power of God. Doctrine and Covenants 88 is, is sort of this expanded description of a lot of these doctrines. One example is one we discussed earlier today with verse 5 in John 1, that in the light shineth in darkness and darkness comprehended it not. That's actually repeated six times in the Doctrine and Covenants, one of them in section 88, where it just it kind of builds on this idea that Jesus is the light. Not everyone embraces that light and, and choose to remain in darkness, but those who choose it can become the sons and daughters of Christ and gain more and more comprehension because they're doing that. Kind of but, like the idea of being in a dark room. If you just shine that bright light, it's going to just blind you. Whereas if you gradually, you know, there, there is that adjustment period to where you can take in more and more light. Yeah, great relation. And, and to verse 16 in John 1, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace, right? And it, it doesn't come all at once. It's something you build. Well, and, and this is my simple way of always kind of imagining it. But I just think you think about a dark room truly where there is no light at all and you put even just the tiniest little pinprick of light, the darkness cannot comprehend in the sense it cannot permeate anywhere where that light is. It cannot exist in the same space as that light. Darkness, and then you think about the adversary and darkness and that darkness, 
What did we learn in the Pearl of Great Price that Satan comprehendeth not the mind of God? That wherever light is, darkness cannot coexist, cannot understand at all what the, what is happening with that light. It flees. It is gone. It's it, it's vacant. Whereas darkness seems like you you say you could see it every place, kind of permeating in any any place around. Then you bring in light, and it just vanishes just like that. The way that I like to think about light and darkness is that darkness is actually not a thing. It is purely the absence, absence of, of light, light, which is yeah. the thing, right? There's not a darkness switch on the mm -hmm. wall. You don't right. turn darkness mm -hmm. on, you turn light off. And so for me, when I, when I think about how it relates to spiritual light, it's an important clarification when we think about Satan and any power that's held mm -hmm. there, that, you know, darkness is going to flee mm -hmm. because darkness is only an absence. Mm -hmm. and, and that shows you how much power there is to having the light. It's fitting that in the physical world, in the laws of physics, the way, the, the level that we understand them, the only energy or power source that has this wave-particle duality as a fundamental defining principle is light. And so that power being a connection to the very power of God, I think is really appropriate overall. You know, and, and when you think about the world we live in, and I feel like sometimes there is this spiritual darkness that just hangs over the world. And, and so many people I feel like are walking around voluntarily removing that light or being distracted from, from seeing that true light so that we can distinguish between truth and, and falsehoods uh, or just the deceptions of the adversary. So how do we use it in a practical sense? How do we really determine what true light is? It brings us closer to Christ, right? Isn't that what yeah. Moroni yeah. taught? Um, and whatever brings us closer and helps us to choose good, then that is, that is light. Whatever leads us to choose that which is not good is not light. I, and I just think there's just gotta be a lot to do with process again and practice and recognizing consequences when it isn't light and I know how I feel, that void. Mm -hmm. And that's what this whole mortal life is all about, is to learn how to do that. But look at, let me show you one. Going back to, to John 1, verse 16, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. I think that's another part of it, that, it, it, that, that process that he gives us light, he gives us more light, he gives us more, it, it happens, but it happened to him as well. Mm -hmm. And John has a testimony in section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which really seems to be connected very much with the same testimony recorded in John chapter one. In chapter, in section 93, verse 12, and I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness of first, but received grace for grace. Mm -hmm. So here's Christ. And you think, I think this is one of those indicators that when he was born, he didn't remember everything. He didn't have all that power and mm -hmm. knowledge, but he, it needed to happen line upon line. Mm -hmm. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. And thus he was called the son of God because he received not of the fullness 
at the first. And then just skipping over to 17, and he received all power both in heaven and earth and the glory of the Father was with him for he dwelt in him. That's kind of the same thing that the word was made flesh mm. and God dwelling in him, you know, that, mm. that, that it is that testimony again that said how Jesus is an example for us. He is the light of the world, but he received line upon line and as a mortal here on the earth and consequently teaches us that by trusting in him, we can go through that same process. And thus he became the son of God and we can be adopted sons and daughters of God. I I was reminded as you were talking about Joseph Smith's experience, about how he sees that light. Um, And then Mm. it just descended gradually until it fell upon me. And then something we talked about earlier is as soon as a light appears, that he says, I, I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound, yeah. how the light chased away yeah. that darkness. Oh, that's a good example mm-hmm. of it. We focused a lot on light and it's been fascinating. Are there any other aspects of John chapter one, since we are in this setting where yeah. we can kind of just go wherever we want to go? Camille, anything stand out well, to you want to touch just, on? This is not to have a, necessarily a long discussion, but I just think it, John uses unique titles to describe Christ. And and it's one of the reasons we know this is John and that we think that the epistles are written by John, the three epistles and even the revelation because he he uses that. And we don't know which one came first. I always like to think it's the revelation and he saw all of this and then he comes back and he's describing the ministry of Jesus based on that. But he is the word, he is the word. Um, and. And I think you you just think about ways that that word communicates in so many ways. It, he is the way we bridge our in our prayers, the Father. Um, and it's because of him that we have the Holy Ghost. I mean, he is the connection, just like words are for the connection in communication. And he is the light, we've talked about that. But another one that I think is a fascinating one is in verse 36 where um, he quotes John the Baptist saying, behold the Lamb of God and, and, and using that as the introduction to some of the first disciples who will later become apostles, um, the original 12, among the original 12 apostles. And that is another one that is just loaded with all kinds of symbolism and power of all things. You know, he is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrificial lamb. I mean, it is, it is an imagery that I think meant a lot to John. And I, and I think as you read John's gospel, his testimony of Jesus Christ here, you will see lots of little reminders of light, of word, and of lamb as, mm. as far as Christ is that. And he is the one who does it. It's beautiful. That is, that is very beautiful. I love that. And and coming back to that declaration from John about behold the Lamb of God, Camille, just a few verses later, we learn about some of the first introductions to Jesus mm-hmm. for some of mm-hmm. the folks who would become his apostles. 
And uh, that the invitation, which we use a lot in the church today, come and see. Come and see. One of the you know the, the first instance is is the interaction that's having that's being had directly with Jesus about where where does he dwell, where does he live. Uh, but if you go further down, Philip. Uh, he ends up going to, uh, having a discussion with, with someone named Nathaniel. And in this discussion, he's trying to explain, mm-hmm. hey, there is this word, this light that, you know, that has come, this Lamb of God. And I, I, I love that it was not enough that it's not enough just to hear something from someone, just to tell something to someone else, that in order for change to happen, there needs to be a choice to actually follow, to embrace uh, that, you know, that tie-in. So in, in this case, this interaction in verse 46 of John 1, and Nathaniel said unto him, mm-hmm. a famous line, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> right? Uh, Philip saith unto him, come and see. Come and, see. And, and, it, and it was when he did come and see that he experienced what he needed to convert. It is so much greater than ever they ever imagined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You cannot explain that. Yeah. Yeah. I love this invitation, come and see. Camille, what has been your experience with going and seeking and seeing and finding Christ? And how has that affected you and your life and your mm-hmm. career? You know, none of us has a life that turns out the way we imagined. We we don't end up where we think we envision ourselves to be. But I learned that very early in my life. And I just, there's been so many times, like you go to church and lessons that had to do with family and children and a circumstance the way you would live your life during the week that I didn't relate to. And I was fortunate enough to have been hired to teach seminary and, and I was the only woman at the time teaching <laughs> seminary full-time in the church. Wow. And, and I was getting a lot of flack saying, women can't do this. And I just go, I got to do it. I got. So I spent a lot of time in Scripture, and that's when I started to discover, come and see for myself, that th- this just fed my soul. And I found answers. And I met, built a relationship that I recognized that with a lot of different people pointing out open doors to me, um, it was like being a John the Baptist. They, they showed me a path that I didn't know could be possible for me. And then there was a power given that actually allowed me to be successful at it, which just surprised me. And then come back and say, these experiences that we read about in here are real. These are real stories. These are not... Nice stories to make people feel like, oh yeah, I can read about Jesus this way. They actually happen and these people um, actually lived. But I, I just keep thinking, just because you have had that experience and just because you know um, that light is, ha- has emanated into your soul and told you it is true, you can't just give that to someone else. And you want to do that. I just think as far as parents, I'm looking at you two as fathers. And how many times do you think if you could just give that testimony to your children? But it doesn't work. It has to be experienced by yourself. But um, I think I, I learned that by my life turning in a direction that I thought there was no one else that could help me and understand me 
but my Father in heaven. Thanks, Camille. I loved Camille's uh, thoughts there. It's just so powerful. And I, I, you know, maybe a good way to, to end is, is on the focus of the, the second coming. You know, John in, in chapter one here, he, he sets the stage for the importance of Jesus as the light. And he builds on that all the way till describing in some of the most detail that we have in all of scripture, what it will be like leading up to and when he comes again in Revelation, right? This dynamic of light and, and seeing Christ and becoming the light of the world ourselves, I, I think it can connect uh, back to the, the concepts of light physically uh, to the point of it being this power that, that, can, that can hit and burn things. Uh, imagine what will happen out of natural consequence when the light of the world that is described as the very power of God returns in fullness to the earth. And, you know, we have so much scripture that, that proclaims uh, rightly that the, the second coming is going to be a day of destruction, a day of burning. Things will be burned to stubble. I think often we may be a little misguided if we think about that as God coming back to enact vengeance out of anger. We are his children becoming sons and daughters of Christ, striving to become. I don't see that particular attribute aligning with Jesus, the the merciful and the loving. And so there's this one little snippet in the Doctrine and Covenants that I cling to about the second coming in Doctrine and Covenants section five, verse 19. It describes this, again, this sort of day of destruction. And and then the very end of the verse, it says, and all these things all will be burned and consumed by the brightness of his coming. Mm. So it sort of wraps up uh, what, what John himself, uh, he, he mentions later on in one of his epistles that when Jesus comes again, we will see him because we will be like him. And so my testimony is, is really that uh, there is, that the very power of God is captured in Jesus as the light. And the more we become familiar with, comfortable with being in that light, the better we are able to stand at that glorious day. Not depressing, destructive, but glorious, where things will burn, but only out of natural consequence, not out of anger or destruction. But we will ultimately want to be there to be welcomed to the glory that we have become joint heirs for. You've really changed my attitude towards physics. And And, and and, physicists, uh, too. But really, it's been very enlightening. So thank you, Aaron. Camille, as always, it's such a pleasure to be with you and to learn uh, from your experiences and knowledge. So thank you both. And thank you all for joining us for this discussion. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you received. Additional teaching, study, and shareable material and discussion is available on social media, podcasts, YouTube, and through our website at byutv.org slash come follow up. Join us next week as we cover Matthew chapter three, Mark chapter one, and Luke chapter three, where we'll discuss Christ's exemplary baptism and the significance of true repentance. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 